Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's my pick this time, and I chose Conqueror's Isle from the CBS anthology series Escape. From its debut in 1947 to its final broadcast in 1954, Escape produced 230 episodes of thrilling, intelligent escapism. The program's stated mission was to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. No locale was too exotic, no adventure too dangerous, no escape too narrow. In 1947, Radio Life magazine praised the quality of Escape's scripts, declaring these stories all possess many times the reality that most radio writing conveys. Conqueror's Isle was based on the 1946 short story by Nelson Bond, an influential early voice in science fiction and fantasy. Today he is best remembered for his 1937 fantasy story, Mr. Mergenthwerker's Loblies, which was adapted multiple times for radio and early television. Bond also created one of science fiction's earliest female protagonists, Meg the High Priestess, featured in a series of stories set on a post-apocalyptic Earth. Conqueror's Isle was first published in the June 1946 issue of Blue Book magazine. It was adapted for Escape by John Dunkel and presented twice during the program's run. The version you will hear today is from 1949 and starred David Ellis. The 1953 production featured Harry Bartell. Other radio adaptations included a dramatic reading by Nelson Olmsted for his series Sleep No More and a fully dramatized production for Radio City Playhouse. The story made the leap to television in 1953 as part of the second season of the science fiction anthology series Tales of Tomorrow. And now let's listen to Conqueror's Isle from Escape, starring David Ellis and Bill Johnstone, first broadcast March 5th, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are flying over the lonely wastes of the Pacific, lost, torn by the fury of a typhoon, your gas running out. And ahead of you is an adventure so strange, so terrifying, that your mind cannot accept it. Today we escape from reality with the tale of a Navy flyer who vanished from the face of the earth into a new world of the future, as Nelson Bond told it in his story, Conqueror's Isle. You've got to believe this. It sounds utterly impossible, I know. It sounds... 
It sounds crazy. That's why I'm here, sir. But it's the truth, and you've got to believe it. You've got to, sir. You've got to. That's the way he started, almost as soon as I'd walked into his hospital room. He wasn't violent, you understand. There was no need for restraint. But his every action, every gesture was evidence of a psychotic condition. To be extremely charitable, battle fatigue. Well, anyway, it was an odd case. I was already acquainted, of course, with the history. Young man, graduate of, of Annapolis, lieutenant in the fleet air arm... Excellent record, citations for bravery and so forth. And toward the end of the war, he and his bomber crew disappeared over the South China Sea. Search failed to turn them up. They were, of course, presumed to be lost. And then a month ago, almost four years later, Lieutenant Brady was found by a Brazilian freighter drifting helplessly and nearly dead in a tiny life raft from the airplane. Curiously enough, his position was not far from that last reported by his radio operator four years ago. But when he was asked where he'd been, he gave a story so fantastic, so utterly unbelievable... It's the truth, and you've got to believe it. You've got to, sir. At ease, Lieutenant. I'm sorry, sir. I'm here to consult with you as a physician, not order your cure as a superior officer. Now, suppose we ignore the braid while you tell me about it. <laughs> well, thank you, Doctor. Where should I begin? Well, it's your story. You know what it is you want me to believe... The trouble began, I understand, on your last bombing mission. Yes, that's right. That's when my troubles began. The thing's been going on for much longer than that. Years, certainly. Decades, perhaps. Somebody has got to do something, Doctor. Time is racing by, and with every passing day, they grow stronger. I've got to make people understand. Lieutenant. Now, suppose you start at the beginning. With that unfortunate last flight. Yes, sir. I... I'm sorry I got a little... Well, then it... It was this way. We'd finished our mission and we were starting for home. We were over the South China Sea between the Philippines and Indochina, roughly off Palawan. And everything was peaches and cream. The Arden Alice was purring along like a dream and I was sitting there chewing up a pack of lifesavers, thinking how good that can of cold beer was going to taste when the intercom crackled in my ear. Lieutenant Jep Freighter, 10 o'clock. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Looks like a single tramp eating up the coast. You still got a Bertha? Yes, sir. Okay, maybe we can have some fun. Red 4 to Mac. Red 4 to Mac. Go ahead, Red 4. Jap Freighter, 10 o'clock. Check. We've still got a Bertha. How about it? Why not? It's your party. Go ahead and good luck. Roger and out. It was as easy as hitting a sitting duck. The long dive, the bomb release, the pullout. A dull concussion. We laid it down her aft stack, and that Jap ship went up like a Roman candle. Hey, hey, nice going, Lieutenant. Right on the button. That's one Jap we won't have to worry about anymore. Lieutenant, we're hit. Huh? A piece of that Jap must have come up and hit us. We're spraying gas all over the Pacific out of the left-wing tank. Yeah, I see it now. Well, guys, get ready for a bath. We'll never make it back. I object. It ain't Saturday night. Never mind. I always did want to take a ride on one of them little rubber boats. No need to worry. The Navy takes care of its own. I'll be out to get us before we have a chance to get thirsty. Red 4 to Mac. Red 4 to Mac. Nice going, fella. Yeah. Only it was a two-way deal. We're hit, Mac. Losing gas fast. Think you can make it? Nope. It's a salt bath for us. Sorry, fellas. Keep your radio on. Give your last position to base before you ditch it. They'll have a rescue party out in an hour. Welcome. See you tonight. Good luck. Over. Roger out. You see, there was nothing to it. it. Happened every day. 
With ships all over the Pacific, they'd have a destroyer sitting there when we came down. And a half hour later, when our gas was down to a few cupfuls and the rest of the squadron was long out of sight, an amazing thing happened. One minute the sky was clear and cloudless, the next minute we were surrounded by thunderheads and a typhoon burst on us. Holy cow, Lieutenant, where'd this come from? I don't know, but it's a Lulu. Fasten your safety belts, there's no telling what this'll do to us. It was a granddaddy typhoon, all right, but it lasted only a few minutes. Then we got out of it as miraculously as we'd come into it. And wonder of wonders, we were directly over a small island. Well, what do you know? Take a look at that sight for sore eyes. Man, oh man, it looks mighty fine to me. Uh, what island is it, Lieutenant? I don't know. I don't recognize it. And after the way we got tossed around back there, I haven't any idea of our position. We could be anywhere from the coast of China to the Philippines. Who knows? Who cares? It's dry land. Yeah, just in time. We're out of gas. Hey, Jack. Yeah? See if you can get a fix and radio our position. We're going down. We landed safely on a little strip of sandy beach. And only after we'd climbed out of the plane did we begin to have any misgivings. What do you think, Skipper? Well, it doesn't look like much, but... I don't see anybody. Not a sign of life. I got a good look from topside coming down. There weren't any houses, nothing. And still, you can't tell. It could be Japs. Or worse. Headhunters, maybe. We better stick together, stay close to the plane. Shouldn't be more than a few hours. Oh, Hello. yeah, except... Hey, what the... Hold it. Hello there. Uh, a white man. Hey, what oh, is brother. this? Keep your eyes open. It might be a trap. But he's a white man. He speaks English and he's not armed. No, I don't see any guns. Just the same. Watch it. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. We saw you land, so I hurried out to see if I could be of any assistance. Uh, may I introduce myself? I'm Dr. Grove. I'm Lieutenant Brady, and these are my men. Radio man Kavanaugh... My gunner, Sergeant Keller. Hi, Hi It's a pleasure, Hello. gentlemen. Pleasure. Are any of you in need of medical assistance? No, thanks. We're all okay. Just a little surprised to find anyone here. Well, yes, of course. Uh, that can be explained to you later. But uh, right now, you'll be wanting food and rest. Hey, now, a little chow wouldn't be bad. But first, <laughs> we, we have to get in touch with our base. Give them our position. Oh, of course. But uh, such things take some time in these primitive areas. Oh, we have a radio on the plane. Did have, Skipper. Well, I was uh, just starting to tell you. It went out just before we sighted the island. Must have got wanged up in that storm. Well, can you fix it? Well, I suppose so, if it's nothing serious. I'll uh, tell you better after I have a chance to look at it. Of course. But in the meantime, I hope you'll accept our humble hospitality. We don't have the pleasure of entertaining new guests here often. It'll be good to chat with you all. Uh, if you'll follow me, please. How about it, Skipper? Sure. Why not? After the last half hour, we could all use a little relaxation. Very good. Uh, right this way, please. I should have smelled it right then. There was something strange about the whole thing. There were a lot of questions in my mind, but somehow I didn't ask them. Instead, we walked down the jungle path behind Dr. Grove like lambs to the slaughter. Tom Geller must have had the same misgivings because he whispered in my ear. I don't get it, Skipper. Don't get what, Tom? Where do these guys come from? Where do they hang out? When we were coming in, I made sure to take a good look at this island. There were no houses, no nothing. I don't know. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Hey, stop it. Oh, holy cow, will you look at that? Dr. Grove stopped in front of what looked like a big rock. And then we saw it was expertly camouflaged cement with a sliding door. 
Ah, here we are, gentlemen. If you'll be good enough to enter. Enter what? That? <laughs> Don't be alarmed. It's only an elevator. An elevator? In this jungle? What kind of monkey business is this, anyhow? Do you mean to tell me you live underground? My dear lieutenant, I'll be glad to explain everything later. It's all very simple. But uh, first, I must insist that you oh, enter the shaft. so now you're insisting. Then oh. suppose we prefer not to step into your elevator. Then what? Then I should be compelled, uh, most regretfully, to enforce my request. Guess again, pal. We happen to be armed. A gun. Three guns. See, that's one detail you overlooked. I overlooked no details, Lieutenant. Uh, would you be kind enough to fire your gun? Watch yourself, Skip. It's a trick. He wants you to shoot the sound. I'll bring help. Wrong, my friend. I need no help. Very well. If you won't accept my invitation... Wait a minute. Keep your hand out of your pocket. Perhaps you would care to stop me, Lieutenant? Okay, if you asked for it. Hey, Lieutenant! <laughs> Try again, Lieutenant, but your gun will not work Skip on this right. Mine will work mine. either. And now, perhaps you'll be kind enough to step into the shaft? Look, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want any part of it. Yeah, neither do I. Come, Come on, on, gang. Let's get out of here. Just you a minute. It. I'm sorry. You forced me to use harsh measures. Uh, believe me, I do so reluctantly. What's that you've got there? Just a small tube, but a very potent weapon, I must warn you. Yeah? Well, then you better use it fast. I made a desperate lunge for him, and suddenly... A tiny shaft of light flicked out from the tube and touched me. And I stopped, frozen in my tracks, conscious, my eyes open, seeing him, hearing him. But try as I would, I could not move a muscle. I was as if turned to stone. just a moment, we will return to escape. But first, both Gangbusters and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS network stations. So be listening tonight when they bring you an exceptional, fast-moving, gripping hour of mystery. And now, with our stars, David Ellis, Ted Von Eltz, and Bill Johnstone, we return to the second act of Escape and Conquer's Isle. I was paralyzed, Dr. Gorham. Completely paralyzed, as if turned to stone. I had all my senses. I could, I could see and hear and feel, but I couldn't move a muscle, not even turn my eyes. And you say this happened because of some kind of light beam? Well, not exactly a beam, sir. Perhaps not exactly light. Just a kind of... kind of radiance. A gas, perhaps? No, because it had no form, no odor, no taste. It was like becoming enmeshed in a web of moonbeams. I see. And its only effect on you was to immobilize you. Yes, that's right. It didn't burn or sting or cause pain in any way. I simply couldn't move. It was like a hypnotic trance. And then? Well, then some of Dr. Grove's companions came out of the elevator. They picked us up and carried us. I could feel their hands very softly, as if they were far away from my body, as if there were layers of rubber between them and me. And I could hear Dr. Grove talking. Place him in the shaft. Gently, please. I could see him bending over me into my line of vision. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. I sincerely regret having to inconvenience you. But, you see, just as we have the means of hampering your primitive mechanical devices, your guns, your radio, 
so do we have the means to enforce our requests. Requests which are, I assure you, only reasonable and necessary under the circumstances. Very well. Take us down. My head was reeling, and fear was growing in me. Who were these men to talk of radio as a primitive device? What kind of men were they? Where were they taking the three of us, and what were they going to do with us? As if he'd read my thoughts, Dr. Grove leaned over me again. There's no need to be alarmed, Lieutenant. No need at all. All right. Gently. Carry them gently. Well, Fraser. I'm sorry, Freighter Dorden. It was necessary. They would not come willingly. I see. Yeah, a few of them do. I'll put them in the sleeping chambers until they recover. And be gentle. They are so frightened. Poor things. Poor things. Poor things, he'd said. Not as if we were human beings at all, but animals. Some weak, dumb animals with whom they must be gentle. It was then that I began to know real fear. We were in a great underground city, but I could see little of it. Nothing except what passed in front of my rigid eyes. Then I was carried into a room, deposited upon a soft couch, and left alone. I could not close my eyes, but gradually the light began to fade, to melt away. I was in deep blackness, and I slept. I don't know whether the return of the light awakened me, or whether it came on automatically when I woke up. But the room was bright, and I could move again. I jumped up, tried the door. But of course it was locked, and there was no other way of escape. The room was a small cell with metal walls and ceiling, a kind of metal I'd never seen before. There was a cot, a desk, and a chair, and nothing else. But the really amazing thing was the light. I searched the entire room carefully, but there were no fixtures, no indirect lighting arrangements. The light came out of the walls, evenly filling the room, casting no shadows. Suddenly, I wanted to see Kavanaugh and Geller. I yelled. I yelled at the top of my lungs. But there was almost no sound. No echo from the walls. They simply absorbed the sound into utter silence. Then as I stood there, with fear cold in my stomach, I heard a faint sound, a footstep behind me. I whirled around just in time to see Dr. Grove stepping through the wall. You were... Uh, you said through the wall, Lieutenant. Of course, you mean through the door. Through the wall. Through the wall, sir. The door was in front of me. But Dr. Grove stepped into my cell through the solid metal wall. You realize that what you're saying is impossible. To us, it is. To them, nothing is impossible. Nothing. That's why we must act and act now before it's too late. You must believe me, sir. This is man's last chance. I'll do my best. Uh, perhaps you'd better continue. Now, uh, this Dr. Grove stepped through the wall. Yes. As I'll tell the, the rest as quickly as I can, I can see that you don't believe me. But someone must, somewhere, sometime, someone must. Lieutenant. Well, as I said, Dr. Grove stepped into my cell through the wall. Suddenly, my panic ended. I looked at him now with awe. And we talked, not as man to man, 
but as man to a lesser creature. Me. You must not be frightened, Lieutenant. You do not understand how I pass through a wall which to you seems solid, and not understanding you feared. But I... Yet there is nothing supernatural or fearful about what I did. Any of us can do it at will. You see, there is no such thing as a solid in this world of relativity. We know that there is plenty of room for the molecules of our bodies to pass between the molecules of those walls. We simply make a necessary mental adjustment and walk where we will. It is an ability as basic to us as breathing to a person like you. What kind of men are you? You have been educated, uh, studied Darwin, you know the facts of evolution. You know how man has progressed through various stages from the primitive savagery of the Neanderthal man. Well, yes, Obviously, but... this process can and will continue. To suppose that the evolution of man is complete with you is a mistake of conceit. You mean you are the next stage? Exactly. You have heard of the process of mutation, perhaps. How suddenly a white rose is produced of a family of red roses and from then on produces only white descendants? Yes. So have we been evolved as mutants, infinitely superior to our parents and our fellow men, knowing by instinct right from birth what you must study years to learn, your most difficult physics and mathematics, our ABCs, our studies far beyond your understanding. Are there many of you? Yes. You see, the process has been going on for many years. Hundreds, thousands more come to us every year from all over the world, drawn here by telepathic message, where we have isolation to study, learn, build, prepare ourselves. Prepare? Prepare for what? For the task ahead. Obviously, when we are ready, when we are numerous enough to fill all the necessary positions, our superior intelligence must shape a new world take over the world obviously and you will destroy man how little you understand us do you destroy the animals of the field because they are not your intellectual peers our obligation is to keep and protect you to act as your friendly guardians in a world which will be strange to you and 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 frightening as my walking through the wall was frightening to you i see Yes, I see. Then what is your plan? Rather say, nature's plan. And the answer to that lies in history. What became of the anthropoids, the cavemen? They died out. Civilization passed them by. They fell before the onrush of higher forms of life. Even so. Even so. But... Uh, I give you our pledge that we will be kind. We will be kind. And then he took me out into that great underground city, through its corridors and great halls and laboratories and shops, took me among the thousands of his fellow men. There I saw marvels of which I could talk for hours. There were... But they would be beyond your comprehension as they were beyond mine. You wouldn't believe me, and so I won't bother to tell you. Then I met others like us, some 200 captive cattle, people who had stumbled onto this island as I had. There were famous names among them, a famous author whose ship disappeared in the Pacific years ago, a big game hunter, a famous aviatrix, for whom a dozen fleets had sought in vain. 
all of us, prisoners. We were treated with great kindness, made comfortable, relatively happy. We were their pets, you see. Their dumb animal pets. For over three years I stayed there. After a while I ceased to struggle, even in my mind. I was defeated. And so I succumbed to the peaceful, bucolic existence that was my fate. At least, at least that's what I thought. Then came that last day. Dr. Grove had made me his special pet. I was allowed to follow him about it at work, to talk to him at length. And on this day, he confided in me even more than usual. Well, Lieutenant, it has been a pleasant day. Yes, Doctor. Am I to go now? Not for a moment. Ah, yes, I shall miss having you with me when I'm gone. Gone? You're going away, sir? Yes, very soon. But where? Out. Out into the world where you once lived. But why? Oh, there are many, very many of us there already. In strategic places, of course. An important politician here, an industrial magnate there, a famous author whose words are gospel to his readers. I will have my place, an important one. But I didn't know. You didn't tell me that it's already begun. Oh, yes, definitely. The hour is close at hand. And then, all of us... The whole world. Lieutenant, you know us now. You know that we will be kind. Kind. Yes, kind. Suddenly all the anger that was in me welled up. I didn't want to be a dumb animal, a pet for some superior being to be kind to. I didn't want that for my loved ones, my friends, my fellow men. That night at dinner when they fed the prisoners in a big communal hall... I got a chance to talk to Kavanaugh, my old radio man. He listened and then shrugged hopelessly. They'll succeed, Joe. You know that. No. Not if the world could be warned. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't make any difference. Besides, how could they be warned? If somebody could get away from here. Escape? <sighs> that's impossible. I know, that's what I thought. But listen, I've got an idea. There's one chink in their invincibility. What? Their gentleness, their kindness. They can't bear to hurt anyone. None of their weapons kill, but only, only paralyze temporarily. And they simply cannot conceive of treachery. What are you driving at? This. I'm going to play on Dr. Grove's liking for me, his kindness. And I'm going to trick him. How? Tomorrow I'll ask him to take me up above, back to the plane, to, to get pictures of my father and sister. Tell him I'm lonesome, suffering. He'll do it. I'm sure he will. It's very kind of you, Dr. Grove, to do this for me. Oh, not at all, Lieutenant. I understand your feeling. With you leaving, I'd have no one, no one close. The pictures will make me feel a lot better. Well, I only hope they're still here. The plane is partially demolished by the weather. As you can see. Oh, they'll be there. They were in the map compartment. They'd be out of the weather. Well, here we are. Dr. And... Grove, look, uh, over there. Where? Oh. Sorry, Doctor. But I had to do it. I hope I didn't kill him. 
He had been kind, but I hit him hard. Then I broke out a life raft from the rotting plane. I was almost afraid to look at it, but it was okay, even complete with supplies, four years old. I ripped the valve and threw it into the water. In five minutes, I was out beyond the breakers. I don't know how many days or weeks it was before they picked me up, but it was a long time. And I was more dead than alive. Yes, yes, Lieutenant, you were in bad shape. It was a horrible experience. But you see, it doesn't matter about me. It's the others that... You don't believe me either, do you? Well, Lieutenant, it's, it's been a pleasure to listen to your story. I, I'll make a report to my superiors. Please be patient and try not to worry. Hmm. Try not to worry. Good day, Lieutenant. Get out. Get out, sir. Oh, there, Commander Gorham. You've talked to him? What's the verdict? A clear case of persecution mania. An amazing form. I've never heard a tale more complete and logical, yes, but I... Yes, I know what you mean. Well, do what you can for him. I'm afraid he's going to be here for a long time. Perhaps for as long as he lives. Turned loose, he might be dangerous. Yeah, that's too bad. Nice boy, too. But floating for four weeks on a life raft, and heaven knows what before that, it sure does things to a man. Well, Doctor... How about lunch? No, no, thanks. I've got to run along. I have to turn in my report and recommendation on this case. Oh, of course. Well, I'll see you later. I watched the man disappear down the hall. I stood there for a moment lost in thought, seeing the face of that boy in there. It was hard to know how best to be kind to a boy like that, but I roused myself. I had much to do. So much. And if I went down through the lobby of the hospital, some fool would surely delay me and get me into a long-winded discussion, and I didn't feel a bit like talking. I wanted to get out of this place and forward my report, my report that this Brady case was closed, that there'd be no more trouble from this source. My car was just outside on the street. There was no one in sight in the corridor. So I turned and... quietly walked through the wall... Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have presented transcribed Conqueror's Isle by Nelson Bond, adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Starred as Lieutenant Brady was David Ellis, as Dr. Gorham, Ted Von Eltz, as Dr. Grove, Bill Johnstone. Featured players were Sam Edwards and Dick Benedict. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Be sure and be with us again next week at the same time when we will bring you another great story of mystery and intrigue by one of the world's outstanding authors of high adventure as CBS again presents Escape. Ronnie and Benita are two names that are as familiar to Jack Benny fans as Mary, Phil, Rochester, Dennis, and Don. And since Jack Benny has received thousands of letters asking that the Ronald Coleman's be brought back soon, he's happy to present them as special guests on his program this Sunday. Hear the Jack Benny program on these same CBS stations tomorrow night. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
was Conqueror's Isle from Escape here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was my pick. There's a lot of reasons for that pick. I can't wait to get into them. I can't wait to find out what you guys thought of it. Can't wait to tell you why I brought it to the table. However, the intro has opened up a uh, Pandora's box of things I didn't know and things I want to uh, know more about. First of all, what is a Mr. Mergen Thwerker's Loblies? Anybody? Apparently, this has been done a number of times. Uh, it's famous. What am I? What is that? I don't know, but if either of you ever bring an episode of Mr. Mergen Thwerker's Loblies to this production, that I, I will have words because <laughs> that took me a few tries. <laughs> Mr. Mergen Thwerker's Loblies. First of all, what's a Loblie? I have no clue. I have so not read. Heard you this? brought this stuff to the. Po- I'll read you the stuff I that- bring to the podcast, <laughs> but I'm not going to do the research for your episodes, you buddy. D- you did. You yeah, wrote you sent this. me a link with some of this information, and but I, I, I uh, just put thought, it into the intro. I just thought you guys, as sci-fi fans, would know what Mister. I am not ever a heard huge of sci- fan of sci-fi literature. Honestly. Okay. But have you heard of Nelson Bond before this, the guy that wrote this? Here's I've what heard I'm, his name before, but I have not read him. Here's what I'm getting at. I don't start at a certain point to bring things to this podcast. I'm just randomly listening to stuff. So when all this information is presented, I go, oh, I didn't know any of that about this. I didn't pick this for that. Um, I didn't know Nelson Bond was an influential early voice in science fiction. So wait, you sent me a link to background oh. information that you didn't actually read? No, I did. I read okay. all that. I'm saying after I listened to the episode and found this information gotcha. out, ah. I didn't know any of this stuff. Uh, the other thing is I really want to see the uh, television adaptation on Tales of Tomorrow. I would like to see how they pulled that off in 1953. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Now, that being said, do you guys want to hear why I brought it first or do you want to tell me what you thought first? You go. Okay. As I'm listening to this, this checks so many boxes. Bill Johnstone, check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Bill Johnstone, great. It's Escape, check. World War II, check. <laughs> <laughs> Flying planes, doing World War II stuff. Had a very Bradbury feel to it from my limited knowledge standpoint. Not so much Star Trek, Star Wars sci-fi as much as philosophical type mm-hmm. of sci-fi mm-hmm. in its early beginnings. And I said, oh, I think this will really appeal to not only me, but to Tim and Joshua. I started to go down all the things that I liked about it and all these things. Like, ah, I think they'll like this. I think this is a cool thing. And then I went, oh, everybody knows the ending. Here it comes. (laughs) There's no shock. If you can't catch me off guard, you can't catch anybody (laughs) off guard. Point being is, yeah, we know what's coming and it not only didn't bother me, I was really pleased with how they said, yeah, 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 this is, we all know what's coming, but here it comes anyway. And I thought it was great. I think this has something for everybody at this table right now. See, the difference, I think, between at least you and I in selecting episodes is I never set out to please you. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, partly because that puts a lot of pressure on the other person. (laughs) You have set out to please me, though. Okay, once or twice I specifically set out to. But most of the time I'm like, I think this is an interesting discussion. And I I definitely sometimes have an idea of what you might think of it uh, one way or the other. But it's not uh, how I choose it usually. But But, thank you for considering us when you chose it. But um, in this case, it pleased me a lot. And I thought it might be something you guys would like. So it was multiple check boxes. It's certainly fascinating the way it straddles the escape structure and 
the proto 1950s science fiction story. It was what mm-hmm. is this 1947? Did we yeah. say at the top? And so the beginning of it 1949. feels... 1949. 1949. So yeah, it's heading right, right into, into this era. And the beginning of it with missing planes, landing on a mysterious island, all that feels very much like escape. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he pulls out his potent tube weapon or however yeah, right. Paul Johnston <laughs> describes it, you're like, oh, we've veered off into X minus one territory. Exactly. Yeah. Listening to this, I just naturally fell into the the vibe of like, Eric chose this. I'm going to listen to this with my Eric ears on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was interested, like, they're not getting to the castle all that fast. Right. This is taking its sweet time to get to its point. Interesting. The early bits, just the quite a bit of talk about we're going to take a salt bath we're going down and oh, we're fine we don't worry about it but we're going to hit the water and yeah just really establishing we will not make it we're going to crash but we feel okay about it yeah and that was an interesting discussion that beginning part of you know bombing the enemy ship and uh flying in the planes and running out of gas and all that was very forgive me baba black sheep kind of feel to it <laughs> But it had that vibe going on. I was like, yeah, I could listen to this. And then when it took the turn, I went, oh, this is not what I expected, but still liked it. There's a reason why I hung on till the end and liked it till the end. The lead guy, David Ellis, Mm -hmm. I thought his performance was that compelling. Never over the top, never too much. Seemed really believable. Uh, Well, I said previously that uh, once the... Advanced technology comes out, it leaves the territory of escape. And I am wrong in that uh, because I think, as you're saying, David Ellis keeps it grounded in the reality of what we traditionally associate with escape. And escape itself seemed to want to really telegraph at the top that this is a really strange and terrifying story that your mind might not be able to accept in these <laughs> terms. Like, we break with reality. And then the first line of it is, you have to believe me. So it seems to really set you up. This is going to be something totally different from what you usually hear from Escape. And then they take that time, and like Tim was saying, they took a lot of time, but to really yeah. do something that's it's more what you expect out of Escape. The plane fight and the, yep. I don't know, war terminology. The planes are fighting. That's, Stop fighting, planes. <laughs> that's, that's what it was called. <laughs> uh, but then his performance remains grounded yep. in that first Personary. 10 minutes of the episode. I think it was also interesting is that this actually has two narrators. It's yeah. the doctor at the top is telling you a story and then gives it over to... Um, the, the main guy. To... Yeah. And, and he's your narrator because he's telling the story to the doctor. Yeah. And then the doctor takes over the narration. But that is a very fundamental formatic of escape. Narration. Yeah, yeah. You have a narrator telling you the story that. But that being said, I was just really taken by his performance and also taken by the idea that a super race of beings, first of all, everybody disappearing. Like, where are they all going? Where's Amelia Earhart? Where are they all going? I did a little research and think I figured out what uh, famous writer they were referring to. Oh, yeah? There was a gentleman named Richard Halliburton, who was a famous writer who disappeared trying to sail across the Pacific Ocean, accompanied by a photojournalist. He disappeared in 1945. The theories always go where on these disappearing people? Aliens. Right. Mm-hmm. What I also loved about the sci-fi aspect of the story is that they weren't aliens. 
I'd never quite heard of a race of people that were just <laughs> evolving faster than the rest of us. Straight think, up mutants. Yeah. Yeah, straight up mutants. It was basically the X. Way to okay, you're right. <laughs> I had never heard a story except all these stories about I never thought of it as mutants. But I think that's interesting in that there are a lot of now familiar tropes in here. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, mutants from X-Men lore, and they're gathering these mutants. It's the brother of hood of evil mutants on this island. Genosha. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can uh, vibrate their molecules to pass through walls that's like the, the flash. flash. This yeah. is when I stopped thinking about Eric when I was listening to this and started <laughs> thinking about Tim because there's all these comic book things in here. Did not know until this moment that one of Flash's superpowers was to vibrate his molecules so he could pass through walls. I just thought he was super fast. Oh, man. Oh, man. I got to do a whole different podcast. <laughs> I got to go do a whole podcast right now. <laughs> wow. There's, um, I'm, I'm coming back to the story. The line between the World War II section and the science fiction section, they have that middle bit where they hit the island, met the guy. Yep. And he's trying to get them through the door into the elevator. And that part is the, the part that to me felt like this is taking forever to establish like one or two points. Then once they're inside, and there's the whole story of being a prisoner and being kept as pets and mm-hmm. years go by. Like that part I was found fascinating and really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, I just have that one little chunk that sort of threw me out of it and then i came back into it again enjoyed it and i really enjoyed that chunk you're talking about it was of course you did it wasn't slow for me it was oh <laughs> hey i hey i love the language of uh, and all of the the fly boys and their talk and they're like yeah we're not going in there see yeah that's it <laughs> i'll shoot the guy oh yeah guns won't work see yeah that, that's not what it was at all but that's my impression of it i really enjoyed that part of it. that exchange does touch on the, my favorite part of the show the part that i found the most interesting this idea of the villains of the piece, air quotes villains, the captors, their weakness and their main thing is they're so kind. Yeah. They're really nice guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought was the most, I won't say original aspect, but the most unusual mm-hmm. aspect that you don't hear a lot. Um, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, which I will share, it jumped to mind immediately, is that of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Right. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I mean, of course, he, C.S. Lewis did not anticipate that you could merely say, hey, look over there and escape <laughs> your kindly inquisitors. Well, I'm hit him with a rock. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Out of the goodness of my heart. I will look over there. (laughs) So it was that aspect of the story that definitely fascinated me, too, as well as uh, from a historical perspective, how this straddles two different eras of war. As Mm -hmm. in, it is looking forward toward the Cold War, or in the Cold War then, too, but Mm -hmm. of the fifth column paranoia of they're already among us Mm -hmm. idea, but also the idea of genetic or biological superiority is also looking backwards yeah. toward a Nazi ideology. Yep. Uh, and that's sort of interesting to see them still together. And then that red scare is what's going to take over science fiction yep. and uh, other types of fiction for a decade or more. I'm always fascinated by also these stories of World War II that are so soon after World War II. That must have been weird. Like, that's, it's still pretty fresh. <laughs> And there's still a lot of, oh, I don't know, issues and figuring things out, those who came home. And here you are reminding them of the war. I, I, like you would think you would, for escapism, <laughs> that you would 
let's not talk about the war that's over now. It's only been a, three years, four years, whatever it's been. I think about that every time I think of Hogan's Heroes. Man, that was only 15, 20 years after the war. And Burkhalter, uh, LeBeau, there were a lot of people that were in internment camps that were actors in that show. Yeah. And that's, to me, I'm fascinated by the bravery of that. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's like, wow, we're going to talk about something that's still fresh. We can do it now. And we're like, well, no one remembers it. So we're not going to make it's anybody another feel uncomfortable. Another interesting side of it, though, is uh, as far as like being interested in World War II things, we have probably watched hundreds of hours of documentaries and things about World War II. When you say World War II to us, a lot of things pop to mind Right. that a lot of people probably just didn't know at all in 1947, right. And also the people writing these stories aren't like 12. These are, they're mm-hmm. writing them because they lived it as exactly. well. Exactly. So yeah. when they're going to the typewriter to see, I got to crank out another story for this pulp magazine or another story yep. uh, for this nicer magazine, whatever, they're, they're going to go back to their experiences and yep. uh, what is still in the recent memory uh, to engage readers right. and listeners. I just, you know, when there's tragedy, revisiting it, in entertainment format, I find risky, but we have a lot of old-time radio from 1945 to 19-whatever that goes and revisits it without apology or fear of, forgive me, Joshua, triggering somebody. (laughs) (laughs) But do you get what I'm getting at? Like, it's interesting. I I guess if I was around, then I'd be like, let's not talk about that. I think I would probably just write... Happy fun stories. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is an, a type of escapism, yeah, though. It's absolutely. grounded in the reality that people experience, but then it goes somewhere fantastic. It tells you that you know your fears of some coming war is just fodder for science fiction. And it, at this point, like any story about conflict you write, you're going to have a hard time arguing that it's not a metaphor for World War II. Right. So you might as well embrace it. Yeah. So the transition from the opening to the sci-fi... Again, as we've been discussing this whole podcast, had a moment where I went, oh, don't Scott Bishop this. (laughs) You know, like, how far are you going to veer from the opening? And it didn't. You know, it didn't get too far. There was no space golf. But I did have a moment like, oh, we're really moving in a different direction Mm -hmm. now. Uh, but I, I, I like the idea that it is, at its core, it sticks to, hey, some people disappeared. What happened to them? Ah, they went to an island of mutants. <laughs> it also reminded me, to, to push my glasses up the bridge of my nose a little bit, of uh, The Shadow Out of Time from H.P. Lovecraft, um, which is about a guy who had his life taken away from him for several years because a time-traveling... Are you dozing off here? Um, a time-traveling alien, not an alien, well, it was an alien, in the past swapped bodies with him in the future so that he's stuck in the past in this alien culture for years and then pops back and has to uh, figure out what happened to himself. So it's, in a sense, a little bit of a a years of being in prison kind of structured story. But... Being in an environment that is so alien to any other experience that he can't convey to people what it was for him. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar ground here or ground that feels familiar now. Yeah. I mean, this was probably written after Chat yes. Out of Time. But I think that's part of the challenge of listening to this today, just simply because it uses a lot of elements that have become far more tropey than they might yeah. have been then. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I want to say in its 
praise is that I really love Bill Johnson as the kindly invader. And he yep. just commits to this friendliness as he's imprisoning them. But then he yeah. also kind of likes Brady. And then there's like, take your human to work day or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he like, yeah. brings him to the lab and tells him all his plans. <laughs> I honestly had the, when they are establishing the metaphor of, you're like a pet to me. Of thinking, like, I have a dog. I'm nice to my dog. She just going to at some point hit me over the head with a rock? (laughs) Yep. If your dog ever says, hey, look over there, don't look. I mean, that's what she says all the time. Bark, 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 look over there. If your dog ever says, hey, I just want some aerial photos of my family. Nothing suspicious. Will you please take me on a plane ride? The cats will stab me in the back of the stomach. That I know for sure. Only could probably send it to a vote at this point. Tim? I would not call this a classic. Uh, it's an excellent story. I have some complaints in it myself, but uh, a little subjective. And uh, so it stands the test of time, I feel, and is really fascinating in history's context. Yep. Um, definitely of historical interest and stands the test of time. Yeah, I definitely not a classic. And I think it's... On the fence for standing the test of time, and it's not its fault. The twists and turns are, as you mentioned already, the end is just you know it's totally telegraphed. Hurry up and walk to the wall. Predictable, but I had a hard time trying to gauge whether it would have been that predictable in 1949 or not. Right. Although I think it was very clear that that was Bill Johnston using a Southern accent when he talked to the guy, so you would have got it just a moment before the narrator reveals that he is one of the mutants. But we can't know that for sure. But it definitely was fun. Fun but flawed, can I say that? Not only can you say that, I think we 100% agree. Everything you just said is, yep, not a classic. I don't think it stands the test of time. I don't even think it's on the fence. I think it's historically significant from escape standpoint, from who's in it standpoint, from all of it. I thought it was just really interesting how it's this escape episode and then it's a sci-fi episode and it's this explanation of how people disappeared. And I just knew it would be a good discussion that all of us had something in it that we would appreciate. This is cozy old time radio. It's cozy as It could use more lobblies. I felt like (laughs) lacked lobblies. And more flash illusions. Yes. (laughs) But the most important thing for me is what I was taken by the most was David Ellis's performance. There was just something about it. He had me. He brought me in and had me seeing everything. I just thought it was fantastic performance by him. And I think without it, I probably wouldn't have brought it to the table. You know, it's interesting. This is why one of the reasons I love this podcast is that I, I didn't think it was a bad performance at all, but it didn't stand out to me yeah. until... I'm here recording the podcast, and you say that, and I go, yeah. Without that grounding, this mm-hmm. would have been a, a totally different episode. So it's always great to hear Wasn't different too perspectives. Much. Wasn't too little. Just right. He was, he was baby bear's porridge. <laughs> 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 what every actor wants to hear. Yes. <laughs> Webster's performance was baby bear porridge. <laughs> Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. When you get there, you can listen to any other episode we've done. You can do it. Um, 
course, you can do that anywhere you get podcasts. But also at Glacier Lights, you can vote in polls. You can leave comments that we will see and react to, uh, probably. You can, uh, <laughs> Maybe privately we will react to it. Like, I'm what? Quietly in our room. It won't be me. <laughs> you can send us messages. Uh, you can also link to our Threadless store and buy swag. Or you can uh, link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have so many fun things to do on Patreon. We have bonus podcasts. We have Secrets of the Mysterious Old Time Radio. I got the name wrong. It's not that. It's something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a secret. (laughs) B-Sides of the Mysterious Old Radio, which is uh, occasionally we'll do an episode of the main podcast, and then we realize, oh, there's this interesting episode to listen to that stands in contrast or somehow supports. We have plenty of... Uh, choices from this episode oh, to do yeah. on a B-side. We're oh. going to do a B-sides where Tim just talks about The Flash. <laughs> <laughs> or Mr. Mergen Thorker's Loblies. Who knows? Become a patron and find out what sort of B-side we do with this episode. Uh, please. Or just give us money. Don't even <laughs> consume any of the extras. That's fine, too, if you're just incredibly benevolent like that. If you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society does live uh, audio theater. We monthly perform form classic old-time radio recreations and a lot of our own original work we perform somewhere monthly if you'd like to find out where and what we're performing this month go to ghoulishdelights.com and then you'll be able to get tickets and come see us performing live or if you can't make it uh, or you're not nearby uh, you can definitely watch us because uh, we record them and if you become a patreon you get to watch those recordings for free it pays for itself, people. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to see you, or you can watch us virtually performing our live shows. and Virtually performing. That's we're moving, us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're moving to the Bryant Lake Bowl Theater this fall of 2022, uh, another venue in our six-year run. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So we're very excited about being at that wonderful place. So please come join us there. Uh, what's coming up next? Next, we have a listener request. We will be listening to an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, called The Sidewinder Matter. Until then... Look out! <laughs> coming soon to patreon.com slash themorals. B-sides of the mysterious old radio, episode 265B. Featuring the spoken word series, Sleep No More. We have two stories tonight, and the first of these is by a favorite author of mine, a citizen of Roanoke, Virginia, by the name of Nelson S. Bond. It's called Mr. Mergenthwerker's Loblies. And an action-packed superhero drama from... Central City Police, Malloy here. Power Records. Yes, Captain. The Central City Bank... Right away. What's up, Malloy? Another bank heist. Same M.O. as in the others. Three weird characters moving so fast, nobody could give a description. This is getting big. Yeah, maybe too big. Captain wants to flash in on it immediately. He's the monarch of motion, the sultan of speed, the wizard of whizzle. Yes, indeed. Go from here to China in a no-time flat. Beat the speed of light and you can't beat that. Meet the mighty flash, 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 in a fight he'll smash, crash, mash a whole gang of crooks or schnooks, hey, he'll just harbor any kind of bad 
podcast right now <laughs> available only on patreon